I think it's more direct with financial incentives because it gets down to like the commenting level and everything. Like the, the vision is like for every every function you can perform as a contributor in the DAO, if you can get directly paid one to one for your effort put in, like that's the future vision of this model. GMGM, my name is Degachi, and today we have Alex. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Hey, how are you? Not bad. We both running off sl- <laughs> low sleep, <laughs> all that stuff, but that's kind of the life we live, right? It's a pleasure to have you on. We met in Japan, and you're building some quite interesting stuff, and I wanted you to share this. And also, show, tell us about your, your past history, but before we get into that, Let's just summarize what you're doing right now. Let's do that. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm the founder of Ubiquity DAO, and uh, our flagship product is a stablecoin. But mm-hmm. uh, our vision has always been to build an ecosystem of products to settle payments in the stablecoin. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, our, our second, I guess, uh, main product is what we call the dev pool, which uh, we sort of are, we want to have it be like the future, you know, like, uh, like operating systems for DAOs, um, basically allowing them to operate more efficiently. And uh, it's built mm-hmm. inside a GitHub. So yeah, right now it settles payments in, in uh, all sorts of... Basically, we're actually testing with DAI. But uh, of course, okay. our future vision is to settle payments in our stablecoin. Sure, yeah. And you told me about this DevPool when we are in Japan. And, and I personally think it's a massive boost in productivity it's definitely aligned with your goals so let's talk about that because it is quite interesting and then we can later get into the stablecoin and whatnot so what is this dev pool and how does it really work yeah so the simple answer is you know dao operating system um but you know i want to give a little bit of backstory um so ubiquity dao you know we we consider ourselves like a you know genuine know distributed organization everybody in the core team you know we have about 12 people now uh okay. we're all in different countries so you know operating asynchronously like we, we literally we have people spanning the entire globe um like gotcha. right now i'm in korea and uh one of my main researchers i liaise with is in venezuela right that's literally like a 12 okay. hour time difference. <laughs> so yeah. you know we're, we're we're pushing the limits um and so we've had to really think critically about how we operate and, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a while we were, uh, you know, we were bootstrapping and my, I mean, my whole like startup background was like bootstrapping. Fortunately, we're, we're venture backed now. Uh, so there's a bit yeah. more buffer, but, um, you know, uh, for a while we had to be very concerned with operational efficiency. And again, as a completely like properly distributed organization, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be tough. Uh, you know, it's not always easy getting on phone calls with everybody and doing things in a traditional way. So, yep. um, you know, after a lot of R&D, uh, it was actually also one other problem we were trying to solve uh, was our recruiting. We wanted to be very efficient with our recruiting because I yep. think that, you know, any startup, any organization, uh, any tech startup is it really just made primarily two things. It's this, the product, you know, the software you're building and the yep. people. And, uh, you know, if you have good software, great. If you have good people, great. Like then that's like those are the two main ingredients to make a successful yeah, startup. Yeah. And so that's why recruiting is very um, dear to me. Like, I think, you know, I've always stressed how it should be done in perpetuity and it should be mm-hmm. done efficiently because, you know, you should constantly be doing it. So, um, yeah, those are the two main problems uh, that we wanted to solve with this new, what we call the dev pool. 
um, yep. you know, sort of like a, a, an efficient recruiting mechanism and, a, and a, an efficient operating system for for tasks in our yep. uh, DAO. So yeah, I don't know if you wanted to poke it at, like with specific questions, or you just want me to keep kind of going. Like, how does it actually work? So why does it make all this stuff so efficient? Recruiting, also building these contribute uh, contributions. Yeah. So yeah, what what's the kind of workflow? So I'd say um, specifically for recruiting, you know, as, as you know, probably the traditional recruiting process is kind of like somebody will, uh, you know, you, you'll post on the job board or something uh, mm-hmm. and then somebody will send like a cover letter and apply for the job. And then, you know, somebody in your team will like schedule an interview and, <laughs> you yeah, know, it's a lot of time and, and energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so. Um, we were kind of thinking like, okay, how do we make this as streamlined as possible? And so mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of like bounties, like, you know, Gitcoin and all that. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like bounties because, you know, you don't really have to communicate that much uh, to get yeah, them to result. deliver, well, to get them to deliver work, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the point of a bounty is like you set a price tag, like, hey, deliver this, make me this to-do list in my app. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. send the, the deliverable is your code and you set a price of like whatever, 500 bucks. And then, you know, bounty hunters will go in and submit code, right? They'll open a pull request or, or however, however, you know, different uh, websites implement it. And yeah, the best part about this is that you see their quality of work. Uh, generally, you have at least a bit of communication uh, involved mm-hmm. with that. So you can see how well they can communicate and express themselves. Um, you, you get a lot of information from that quick experience. And uh, I think that also, it kind of cuts out like 90% of the scammers out there who might be like good at interviewing, but like actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So um, interviews instantly get a job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm really keen on the bounty approach. And so we're kind of using that as a core. I don't know if the right term is like building block, but like Mm-hmm. The core of the dev pool uh, yep. is it's sort of like a bounty program. And so every task, you know, has a price tag, of course. Think of like a normal bounty, right? And uh, and then, yeah, uh, anybody can uh, basically deliver work. Generally, we first designed this uh, as a bot on GitHub. So it's natively, it's inside of GitHub, seamlessly integrated. We actually made like slash commands and all that fun stuff. But originally it's built for, for development. Uh, and we're we're actually expanding to we're, we're exploring for other roles like marketing and like partnerships to to use the same system. But I'll get, I'll get more into that later. For sure. So yeah. yeah, to kind of sum up my point here for for recruiting, you know, anybody in the world can hop on our GitHub on our issues, see the specifications, and just like you know, open up a pull request and start solving problems and you know uh mm-hmm. if they make it through our review board because we have a core team that reviews all the pull requests if it makes okay. it through then um you know immediately our bot can issue payouts directly on github uh and so you know after seeing the same faces um opening a pull request going through prs successfully pull requests successfully um mm-hmm. you know we can see wow like these couple of people, they're really great. Let's extend a job offer to them, you know? And so mm-hmm. that, is, you know, to kind of zoom out for a moment for somebody like me, the project founder, I'm not on phone calls with people that 
probably are never going to get the job, right? Statistically, you're going to interview what, like nine people, let's say, uh, or 10 people. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll churn through nine of them. Maybe you'll hire one, you know, that, that was like right. what, 10 hours of phone calls. So there's right, zero yeah. phone calls in this process. Number one, number two, yeah. you know, we're getting down to the brass tacks where it's like, you can talk about, oh yeah, I've been coding for 30 years, but then you can tell sure when you see their code. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Show me, show me their, show me your work. Like my favorite thing is like when I was interviewing back in the day, like developers, they're like, "Oh yeah, I did X, Y, and Z project." I'm like, "Oh cool, show me." Oh no, sorry, bro, it's under NDA. It's always under yeah, NDA. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, uh, all everything's under NDA. So you know, I just, I just default to not believing people uh, at this point. Yeah. But uh, it's a lot easier to believe people when you're looking through their pull request and seeing how they communicate and seeing their code. Yeah, it's like credentials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is. And it's like custom. It's also solving like actual problems for us. Yeah. Like specified problems for your specific projects. Right. Yeah. So basically it's, it's a control flow. Um, you have an issue on your GitHub. Can other people open issues or only Mm -hmm. you guys? Okay. So so, sick. Um, Sorry, you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm trying to, yeah. you know, concise. Okay, let's go through, let's go through like the, the control flow basically. So someone can open an issue, whether it's you or someone else, an outside contributor, they look for your code base and they're like, okay, something here needs to be fixed or something here needs to be added. After that, they basically assign themselves to that task, that, that issue. And when they assign themselves, you give them like a, a time sort of what do you say for that like a time schedule and also like the severity like yeah so let me tier. let me uh let me backtrack for a sec um and okay. i just want to i just want to conclude my previous point um all i described <laughs> with my previous point was using bounties as a recruiting strategy uh but now i want to get more into what makes our bounty program or our our architecture special <laughs> so um okay, good okay, segue. <laughs> yeah no good segue into what you're what you're asking right now or what you're explaining right yeah, now yeah. basically for us as i mentioned earlier um it's 100% inside of github well okay the only part that's not in github is the payment dap like to receive payments you have to click a button it's like you know Web3 enabled, but everything else is completely inside of GitHub. So, you mm-hmm. know, for, for new uh, developers to jump in, it's already a UI and experience that they're in tools that they're all already familiar with. There's no onboarding, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Perfect. For issuing a new bounty. Yeah. As you kind of alluded to, there is the, uh, the two dimensions. There's a priority level and there's a time level. So in our mm-hmm. current implementation, because we want to, you know, I'm, Honestly, almost on a daily basis, I'm filing new issues. And so are my, my teammates. So that was one of the first things we wanted to make sure to really, really streamline. Like, how do we price things very efficiently? And we got like, way cool. yeah, and we got, we got cooler ideas in the background with like a betting market and like crowdsourcing the oh, yeah. information. But that's Fighting. maybe, you know, <laughs> later episode two. But right now we have... Um, two dimensions, the priority level, time level. And so we have these these labels like, you know, and on GitHub, you can uh, set a, a label for any issue. And so we have a yep. special uh, class class of labels that are populated automatically by the bot when you add it as an app to your organization or to your repo. So yep. um, priority, it's basically right now, it's like priority zero through four. And priority zero is like normal. Next one's like medium. Next one's high, urgent, emergency. And then the other dimension is the course time estimate. And we we intentionally made it course 
because we didn't want to spend so much time like, you know, oh, this uh, particular task is going to take 3.5 hours or whatever. Like the point of this is to be able to put out those bounties super fast. So um, our course estimates right now are like less than one hour, less than one day, less than one week. Uh, And anything above less than one week usually means you have to break it down further because there is like less than two weeks and less than one month. But I I kind of discourage the use of those. Anyways, and so uh, it's a simple lookup table, you know, X and Y axis, right? Priority level times uh, time estimate course time estimate equals bounty price. And this is all configurable, mm-hmm. by the way. You add a little YAML file in the uh, in the repository and you can yeah, configure. Yeah. yeah. So in conclusion, you quickly write, you know, uh, you file a new GitHub issue. Type in the title, type in the body text. Hopefully you describe the issue uh, clearly. Uh, you add the priority level, you add the time uh, level, uh, and then you click submit. So all this can easily be done uh, especially like when I'm going through a pull request and you see like um like we're we're, we're discussing some problem, uh, GitHub will yep. allow you to um, basically turn a comment into a new issue. So like you can it will automatically link back to the original conversation and then you can add that uh, priority and time level. I mean you could do this in like ten seconds, maybe even less. So I'm firing away I'm firing away new bounties multiple times a day, literally you know less than one minute a pop. Um, and they're, they're useful. They're functional. People can see the backlinked conversation from the original pull request and, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody can hop on it and start implementing right away. It's like, it's a really cool feeling to like file some issues, like go to sleep, wake up and you got some people you've yeah, never met, like working on it or yeah, or yeah, like a pull <laughs> yeah, request, yeah. Open, you know, like, and this is a reality for us. So it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. That'd be amazing. To just yeah. like wake up. You're like, okay, I, oh, fuck, I need to go to bed right now. Let's let's see. Okay, let's see if we can put this as an issue and see if it gets done, you know, one day. Because, <laughs> like, tons of projects, they put, like, issues, but they're never, like, finished, and it's just, like, in the backlog forever. Yeah. Um, but this, like, incentivizes core contribution, like, it's open source con- contribution, which is a really important thing because it's such a great way to get exposure learn how to work with these massive teams, and it's even, like, a reputation boost as well. Um, yep. A great example is like Foundry, for example. Like if you're working on Forge and they have like they have tons of issues, right? Usually people do it just to get noticed by Foundry and then they might just get hired or onboarded onto Foundry if it's like a good pull request or something. So that's the only reason for that doing for, for doing that. It's just experience and reputation. But now it's also an incentive, right? And I think that's very important because the only incentive before was just reputation, but now they mm-hmm. actually can get paid and make money from it. I wonder from like pricing these, what if they actually go above and beyond? Um, like what if they finish it before the time or maybe they have to extend it a bit longer because they found a further issue? Like how does that work? Yeah, so um, basically for the time, uh, we don't pay too close attention to, to be frank. Um, it's more about, okay. are they continuing to work on it? Right, so, right, right. so let's say that, you know, it, it's estimated to be a one week task, but they delivered a one day, you know, it's like, great. Um, that was budgeted, okay. that was budgeted as a one week task. So if anything, they're happy, yeah. right? Because they got a lot more money in that one day. So beyond that, um, as I mentioned earlier with, you know, firing off new bounties, a lot of the bounties that I create or the new issues that I file are directly yep. from pull request reviews, right? It's like I'll, I'll right click or there, there's like a little context menu next to each um, comment um, and I'll click on it okay. and it'll be like, 
create a new issue from this comment. You know, I'll do that a lot. So um, in this case, because the bounty hunter was, you know, participating in that pull request review because they were delivering their work and they were participating in that conversation, oh, it's actually they lagging. generally are the Hold most on. up to speed on that newly f- issued bounty. So then they can immediately hop on that and get more paid or paid more. So I would say that for those incentives, um, you know, it's like, great, if you if you do it fast, if you do it slow, um, that, you know, whatever, um, as long as you continue to work on it. Uh, and mm-hmm. then the next thing is um, you'll be the most up to speed with new uh, issues uncovered or new bounties generated as a result of that pull request review. And then... Lastly, I guess a big incentive is if you continue to do a good job, you know, we make it very clear like, hey, we're constantly looking to hire core contributors. So uh, if you, Mm. you know, if you're doing a good job, like we're going to, you know, extend an offer to you and you can uh, tackle more complex, less well-defined problems and you get a base pay, basically a salary, like a low salary uh, while continuing to uh, solve bounties. Um, last but not least, we're on the cusp of, of uh, deploying this on our production instance, but we have this really interesting mm-hmm. system for incentivizing participation. So what this means uh, is basically you're getting paid to add new comments to a conversation. So unless yeah. you're the bounty hunter, because the bounty hunter is not eligible for common incentives, because then that could give perverse incentives for them to ask stupid questions and just keep commenting so uh they're the only ones yeah they're the only ones not eligible but everybody else if you add to that conversation with some research or to you know solve a to to answer a question or anything every Mm -hmm. word you enter and then the, the the formatting of the words counts too uh that that gets totaled up so when the bounty is closed or when the issue is closed everybody gets their cut right the bounty hunter gets their bounty and then everybody who participated in helping them, like with comments, also gets their pay, uh, payment permits generated. So in conclusion, the, the theory behind this is that uh, people are incentivized to help each other uh, with you know, solving or doing research and, and answering questions and, um, and writing clear specifications. How do you go about dealing with malicious comments or things that aren't really relevant to the conversation? And are you the ones basically looking at the comments or is it all automated? Yeah. So um, to clarify, we don't have it rolled out in production yet. So I'll definitely get back to you on that. You know, we're always, we're constantly experimenting. Uh, However, Mm -hmm. uh, we are playing things defensively. Uh, There's a couple things that uh, countermeasures that repository maintainers uh, have for, you know, against uh, malicious comments. So mm-hmm. number one, the only time that the payouts occur is when the, the when the issue is closed. So before the issue is closed, you can review like all of the conversation, right? And see, okay, what's going on here? Uh, second, if you think okay. that somebody is abusing, uh, you know, on, on a particular issue, you can delete yep. the comment. The bot will only tally it up at the very end when the issue is closed. So you could like mm-hmm. market a spam, like that's built into GitHub, like market a spam, or you can simply just delete it uh, and it won't be totaled up when the payment permits are generated. And uh, what else? I guess that's it so far. Um, oh, well, I, mm-hmm. actually, well, sorry, one last thing. One last thing. Um, sure. For pull request reviews, the maximum common incentives that can be generated, it basically maxes out at the bounty price. So for example, oh, okay. if it's a tiny, yeah, if it's a tiny bounty, like it's a less than one hour, low priority bounty, and it's like yeah. a $25 bounty, the common incentive, you know, you're going to hit that very quick. So yeah, if yeah. a pull request, 
yeah, if, if a bounty hunter is like, you know, asking a million questions and like trying to game the system or, or even if they're just not that talented, cause this, this happens, um, you know, like okay. they're, they're yeah, yeah. trying to solve a very simple bounty and they're like really wasting, you know, for lack of a better term, they're kind of wasting the time of our, of our review team with a tiny issue. We're, we're actively doing research on disincentivizing the, re, uh, the review team to continue reviewing uh, when, the, when their time is being wasted. And the way that we do this is by capping those uh, common incentives. So if the reviewers yep. are answering questions, you know, for a $25 bounty, maybe you can answer a few questions and then you're going to hit the yeah. limit and and then there's no more incentive for, for you to continue. So um, this is uh, maybe a bit um, coarse in terms of like human interaction, you know, to be mm-hmm. like, all right, well, you're not good enough for our time anymore, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're still doing active research on that. Yeah. But ultimately, we value um, getting things done. And if yeah. you have really Action. low performing, yeah, right. And if you have really low performing bounty hunters, you know, taking forever to solve tiny bounties, it at a certain point you got to pull the plug. And this is a quantitative way to de- to determine when to pull For the sure, plug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I wonder as well. So basically, they do a really good job and provide more than like a like a really good fix, basically, for an issue, um, like scalable clean code, commented, documented. Can you provide like bonuses for this kind of stuff? Um, and how does that work? Yeah, so we have done bonuses in the past. Um, generally, it's after several solved bounties, like when somebody's when some new bounty hunter is like on fire, just like killing it, because we've we yeah. definitely seen a couple of those. Um, I'll literally, I'll just like send them a, you know, just a normal transaction, drop the okay, ether scan gotcha. link. Yeah, I'll drop the ether scan link in the... Um, you know, in the issue or in the pull request so that it's mm-hmm. public so that everybody can see everything and, and, and clearly articulate like, I like X, Y, and Z about what you did. You know, keep yep. doing that. Uh, here's a bonus. Thanks. Um, so mm-hmm. th- that does, you know, if you, if you go through our GitHub and, and go through all the issues and, and pull requests and stuff, like you'll see that occasionally. I think another great thing, I don't know if you do it, but it could be like, a registry of someone's history, like the statistics, how many have they completed in X mm-hmm. amount of time, like some kind of streak in yeah, different yeah. projects and even just like bouncing around projects. You could have a lot of statistics for that. So do you have something like that? So we have, um, well, in our roadmap, we have like a whole like leveling system, leadership board or leaderboard, uh, you know, all that jazz. Uh, right mm-hmm. now, the only analytics that we um, like had to do in this early stage, because we're technically still in beta, according okay. to a roadmap. Um, but the only um, like analytics we have is this auditing tool. So, you know, I'm, I'm the founder uh, of Ubiquity mm-hmm. and I want to closely monitor all the outflows of the cache, right? Because this is still experimental. Like there could be, you know, leaks to plug where like there's some exploits, something is going on. So I want to be able to, yeah. you know, one place, see who's getting how much and how and why. And so, yeah, we built a very simple auditing dashboard. It just like scans the GitHub, like it goes to the GitHub API and then it goes and looks for all the payment permit gener- uh, payment permits that were generated as like comments. And okay, it will, yeah, um, yeah it, will, it will generate a table. Basically, it will say like, okay, you type in like for this user, um, I want to see all the payments yeah. that they got. And then it will show like the issue. Uh, so you can click on it and actually read the whole 
you know, everything that they did, you know, it's all auditable. Like you see the pull request, you see the, the original issue, the conversation, everything. Uh, and then you see the, uh, obviously the amount that they got paid. And I Mm -hmm. feel like there was one more column in there. I forgot, but long story short, it allows, uh, you know, somebody like myself to very easily, uh, audit, like, you know, all the outflows. And so we just, we had to do that because for, for the sake of my, you know, sanity like i was getting very nervous like we're just like authorizing a bot to just you know pay out whatever so uh no but in in the uh i guess in our version one which is coming up if i had to take a guess between three and six months um yeah we're going to be having uh very detailed analytics on exactly what you were talking about um because really like one of our big angles like maybe this is kind of naive i don't know but i would love to um make this service as a public good you know very inspired by like gnosis safe and their Mm -hmm. their story and uh you know i i I like i like the idea of like making or giving back to the community uh the ethereum ecosystem in particular and um you know and and growing the ecosystem doing my part so like you know, there's that side, but then like the more, I guess, capitalist, like selfish side is, well, we, we could preserve the analytics for ourselves and then basically mm-hmm. snipe the best talent, you know, so but, we can get yeah. our, <laughs> we can get our profits in a very indirect way for yeah, lack of a better so. term. So that, that was something we were also considering. Uh, we're, we're still mm-hmm. figuring out how we're, we're going to play our cards. I think that's going to be answered when we're uh, doing our series A which we're going to start fundraising in probably about March 2020, 2024 uh, okay. with a six-month uh, fundraising window scheduled. Uh, and I think we'll learn a lot about what you know what makes sense. We'll, we'll think more critically about our go-to market strategy. Sure. But yeah, for now, we're just focusing on utility and just solving problems. So it's all free. It's all open source. Anybody can use it right now. Yeah. Anybody can use any payment token. You know, it's just it's just about solving problems right now. <laughs> Later, we'll yeah. we'll talk about profit. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Um, and one like critical thing I think would be also important is like how do you how would you use this on like a closed source project? So I guess you would assign your team to the project and then have issues like that. But if they're already getting paid a salary, I guess how does that work? Yeah. So um, two things. One, um, we do have this multiplier function uh, made specifically for salaried contributors. Uh, multiplier is just a quick slash command. You type in, in any comment slash multiplier. You type in, you, you tag whoever you want to select, uh, you know, at uh, Degachi. And then yep. uh, you, you type in a, a float after. So 0.5 or uh, okay. one or and then uh, what this does is it modifies all the payment permits that are generated for you with that mm-hmm. multiplier so uh, the oh. intent here is that open bounty hunters you know public bounty hunters that are not getting paid salaries they can get they can collect the full bounty for each problem but uh, yeah. salaried team members you know depending on the level of their salary I guess you can adjust their payments so that they still are incentivized to contribute and to solve problems and you know they're, they're still technically doing the bounty system but they get maybe less because they also have a base pay so um we currently okay, do right. have that yeah we currently do have that and and i see a i see a future i see a reality where you can have a completely closed source excuse me Sorry, I got air in my throat. You you have a, a completely private team. You know, let's say you have a very elite team. Uh, you don't want yeah. outsiders working on your code, uh, and it's all closed source everything. But uh, from a management perspective, perhaps you can see more efficiency because your team is directly mm. 
financially incentivized to do their work. It's like almost like gamified. It's like, you know, if you're working, you're, you're racking up like your, your bonuses. Uh, and, uh, we, we also in, in our roadmap, we're going to make a simple Chrome extension that will mm-hmm. overlay a custom UI that will basically like have live like oh you're you're typing your comment right now you'll see like the dollar signs go up on the right side you know like for, yeah, for yeah. whenever you so it, it's very you know we want to make it feel like a game and like real time feedback oh. of like okay you're working you're getting paid look at that those dollars going up and also uh, yeah. because of the gnosis like, chain deployment um, yeah because of the Sorry. gnosis chain deployment we could support very like tiny uh, transactions. So that's fun mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I think gamifying it is definitely like the way to go because me personally, I came like a way I got into programming was from games really. So oh, I was really? like addicted to gaming and then I switched my like addiction into programming because it's kind of nice. like gaming. You're, yeah, yeah. You're basically working on something, but it's positive and you're thinking of new solutions and problem solving. So that's, it's quite similar in some ways. But mm-hmm. the only satisfaction you get is from actually like finishing a task. And I think something like that where it incentivizes you and, you know, brings you like more analytics that you can build up, gives you, it gives you like a, a progress bar, like another progress bar on top of building. Um, Agreed. So if you, and it's like a positive thing as well. It's not getting you addicted to like a negative thing that doesn't provide any value. It's mm-hmm. getting you addicted to actually making building things solving problems yeah yeah, yeah it's <laughs> i think a yeah. lot of people will use this if, if it's like it's basically perfect so i wonder how did you like even get into all of this like how did you start your career and get up to like this point uh it must have been very interesting <laughs> it is and unfortunately i can't divulge too much because i'm supposed to be anonymous um yeah. <laughs> so can, then What's yeah, I'll, I'll kind of I'll kind of neuter the history here, but what I can say is that I don't have a computer science background. Uh, like you know, when I went to school, okay. it was actually more it was actually more digital design. Um, I did a lot more creative work. I don't know if you remember when we met in in Tokyo, but like you know, I yeah. I like to carry myself fairly fashionably, you know, which is I guess yeah. is kind of unusual in this uh, industry. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's. <laughs> Yeah, I have a very, very heavy design background. Um, I did design for like so many years and I did like photography and like videography and like basically creative. Um, But then, you know, the world of creative and I guess engineering collided with front end web development. (laughs) And I was like, yo, this is sick. Uh, Coding is dope. (laughs) And uh, so basically I just like independently like went down the coding rabbit hole and it was because I was always hustling, you know, when I was in university, like I was always yeah. trying to like make, you know, make a buck. Uh, and that's because like I uh, I didn't get enough money for my parents to like, you know, live super comfortably in university. In university <laughs> so you were doing like a, a degree that wasn't basically anything related to computer science, right? Yeah, no, it was definitely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But uh, I was hustling, uh, doing what I could with the skill set that I had developed at that point. But then, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, halfway through my university, I won't give like any dates or anything, but about halfway through the university, I, you know, discovered websites and and all that coding and stuff. 
So it's like, okay, this is really yeah. cool. And then I started doing more like freelance work, like websites and then web application development. And I was like, okay, this is like mm-hmm. really cool. And also I can get paid a lot more than for my creative work. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure. uh, I was, I was like financially incentivized to continue going down this web development rabbit hole. Uh-huh. So I became very, very proficient in um, web technologies, in particular uh, JavaScript and nowadays TypeScript for the last maybe five years or so I've been doing like exclusively yeah. TypeScript. I have like deep fascination with the work that you do um you know like i i I like read the um ethereum yellow paper and i like you know i know some op codes and like i'm very fascinated by this stuff it's just unfortunately my the direction the financial incentives for the direction that i've taken you know my career unfortunately that was a path of greater resistance so i i ended up taking the you know just the trajectory that i was going in uh i became very proficient like like in TypeScript <laughs> and like Node and stuff like that, for better or for worse. So, uh, so yeah, I guess all the while from then to now, uh, it's been you know a handful of years, and um, I've done a lot of startups. I've always been like very fascinated about doing startups. I think that yep. startups are like the closest thing to playing like imaginary games when you're a kid, but like as an adult, it's like going on adventures with your friends yeah, yeah. and <laughs> doing dope shit, you know. So I really. Yeah, I really enjoy um, doing startups. I love the adventure and I love building stuff. Uh, But Mm -hmm. because I was poor for so long, but I really wanted to do startups, I had to become very, very efficient with operations. (laughs) So yeah, so it's something that's always a top of mind for me uh, after, you know, so many years of doing startups is like, I'm always, I'm also like a, a really lazy person. So I'm always like, what's the easiest way I can get this thing done? You know, I'd rather, mm-hmm. I'd rather yeah, spend, yeah. you know, it is like that, that XKDC meme uh, where, you know, you'll spend like two weeks solving a problem that, you know, normally takes you like five minutes a day to do or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, things. yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell that, and also saving a buck. Like I'll go, I'll spend, you know, two weeks building something so I don't have to spend Damn, like five bucks a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, it's just, uh, habits I've developed from like just bootstrapping, uh, startups for like pretty much my entire career. And so, yeah, um, I guess to kind of, uh, wrap that point up, you know, with mm-hmm. this new project, uh, because we're like, you know, from day one, a distributed team around the whole globe, I was always concerned with like, ah, oh, man, like salaries don't work, like synchronous conversations don't work. Like, how do I get people to mm-hmm. like do their job? And how do I like manage them without, <laughs> yeah. without like me spending so much time managing them? Cause I'm too lazy to do that. And, yeah. uh, I, you know, I'm a crypto like DeFi in particular, really exposed me to the efficacy of financial incentives. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there is, you know, like nothing truer than (laughs) financial incentives to get people to do things. So, you know, the, 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 the core like ethos of the whole dev pool design is very, you know, crypto native. It's very like, all financial mm-hmm. incentives. It's like, hey, there's like kind of like no rules here. You can do whatever you want. But if you want to get paid and if you want to get paid a lot, you know, do these things, jump through these hoops because those are where the yeah. financial incentives guide you to go through. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, it it's it's working out pretty well, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely the future of sort of hiring and getting people to do the work because these kind of like, getting hired for let's say a fixed salary it can be a lot of money as well you like even if you you can basically go on a spectrum and work super hard or 
get the bare minimum done, you're still getting paid the same amount. So mm. I think this kind of model definitely incentivizes, okay, more work, that's correlated to more money and, mm-hmm. and less work, less money. And it also incent- like incentivizes the quality um, and efficiency of these developers. So time efficiency, okay, if you finish this quickly, you can move on to the next one, get paid more. So I think it's a terrific model. Um, and just to touch on that, like, when you started this project, did you ever have like an incentivize, incentivize building projects from scratch instead of like issues, like sort of sector in it? Well, uh, I guess everybody's got their own approach to, you know, how do they start from building a project from scratch? But technically speaking, uh, because bear in mind that our flagship like product is... To, sorry, but like relating to um, the bot, like the dev pool we we're talking about. So... Let's say, okay, you want to build a module out, but so basically it's not even, it's not even started. Can you incentivize someone to start that module and finish it? Is that like another bounty option or is it only issues? So um, there are many ways to proceed in it with this scenario. Uh, it really depends on yeah. you as a founder, like how you want to play your hand. So mm-hmm. what I've done in the past, so bear in mind, again, our first flagship product was a stable coin, but then we ended up building this bot and the whole dev pool and all that stuff. And so in order to get this started, because I was selling, you know, I had to sell my team on this idea, right? I had to convince my team like, yo, this is not a completely stupid idea. And everybody's very, very skeptical because there isn't really like that close of a parallel. I mean, I guess you could kind of say kind of like Gitcoin, but like uh, a little bit different. It's more sustainable for a long time. I think it's more direct with financial incentives because it gets down to like the commenting level and everything like the, the vision is like yeah, for yeah. every every function you can perform as a contributor in the DAO, if you can get directly mm-hmm. paid one-to-one for your effort put in like that's the future vision of this model but uh that's a tangent so what i did i built the first prototype of the bot it was a very yeah. simple like just you know basic code base and i you know it, it kind of did like very simple things i forget it was like assign unassign it was yeah. it was like really simple. I think it was also like uh, pricing because I really needed help for the priority level plus the time yeah. estimate to set a price because that was so tedious every time setting a price. So mm-hmm. I, I built this prototype in this code base, and then from there, because I wrote that first code, I, I immediately filed like you know twenty issues. Right, it's like okay, here's what we need to do, okay. and I break it down. Right, so. This was a very good foundation for one of our core team members to jump in, re-architect the whole thing so that it could scale better. Basically, it was like a proper foundation. Um, Uh And then, you know, start hammering away at these uh, issues. Now, to uh, I guess another way you could play your hand, because I I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the call, but we're trying, we're actively doing um, experiments for non-coding tasks to be handled with this system in our DAO. So, for example, like one uh, ongoing function we have is grant writing. Um, we're trying to build relationships with institutions that we respect. Uh, like we, you know, recently sure. submitted like an optimism grant. We submitted oh, yeah. actually there was a grant for GitHub. They they have like some partnership with Polkadot or something, which is kind of unusual. But we were like oh, trying okay. to like get in because you know GitHub. We also I feel like we applied to oh yeah synthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, so like we want to be associated with these guys because we want them to use our you know our our. Uh, dev pool yeah. yeah but uh anyway so 
the nature of grant writing is not necessarily like the deliverables are not really code. Not not first. You know, first you you're you're writing a big document. You're you're answering yeah, yeah. all their questions. And so, you know, we have uh, a few people on our team uh, that are dedicated uh, essentially researchers. So they're not mm-hmm. coding. And one of them is like leading the grant writing efforts. So it's like a lot of like writing tasks. And so we break yep. it down on like GitHub. You know, we have like a, like an issue and then we make like checklists and turn them into sub issues. And we could break down like a essentially like a writing epic, like, oh, finish this optimism grant. But then it starts from like step one, like, you know, yep. write the okay. first draft. Step two, uh, you know, whatever. And, and you have like yep. five steps. And uh, so with a little bit of training. Uh, I actually have like a video somewhere on our website, like how to deliver a markdown document entirely inside of the GitHub UI. So it's almost like Google Drive at this oh. point. We're, we're using a dedicated yeah, yeah. grants repository. And then mm-hmm. you can literally entirely on the GitHub UI, you can click a button that says add new file. You can name the file, you can move it in any folder, and it's a markdown mm-hmm. document. And you can write in GitHub, you know, inside of GitHub, write your document, yeah, yeah. click submit, open up a pull request and then you can have go through the exact same pull request review process. But this time it's not coding, it's writing. So now you have the research team who are not coders looking through the pull requests. And then again, it goes through all the common incentives and all that standard flow. Uh, and this is mm-hmm. completely not coding. I can't stress this enough. So I think that there is a, f- a possibility where we could have all of our tasks across the entire DAO on this system, even though it's on GitHub. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to be making a lot of accommodations to make it more user-friendly. But I, I really want to try to keep things as lean as possible when it comes to the user interface. Sure. I don't want to be building like a whole new website and all this crap because that's, oh, yeah. that, that requires a lot more onboarding, I think. Uh, and maybe you can make some cool. few issues, get mm. people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like an amazing thing. And I guess... Oh, when you're like speaking about this, I just realized like you could make basically a new repo and then put like maybe a readme and then make issues with an empty repo saying what needs yes. to be built. That's that's what that, we're doing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it makes we have, sense. Yep. So you can see on Ubiquity's GitHub, like everything I, I like stress the team constantly. There's one guy in the team who used to be a lawyer and he's like, oh, we got to keep your things private. We got to, oh, I'm like, no, dude, like public everything. We're a DAO. <laughs> everything public, public, public. Everybody. Anyways, so, everything. So um, if you go on our GitHub, you can, if you dig, you can see like there's a research repository. There's a partnerships repository. You know, there's non-coding repositories. And then if you go through the issues, you can mm-hmm. see all of our live activity. If not there, then in our mm-hmm. Telegram group chat, which is all public. Yeah. And so I, I stress this because... Well, I don't want to be a LARP. I genuinely think that DAOs are the future. And I think what better way, you know, to to ride that wave than to like, you know, try to lead it, right? To, to be building all these tools and figuring out ourselves, like how can we rethink how organizations are in the future? So that's something I'm very like passionate about. But um, also, yeah. I think I genuinely, I think that especially in a distributed organization, uh, information flows a lot more efficiently when things are all in public channels because you can just link and then it's like bam here's a whole conversation yeah. now you have all the context like i don't have to repeat myself so yeah exactly so yeah i'm i'm very adamant about everything must be public so yeah you could you know for yourself or anybody listening to this can go on our github and like dig through our issues and even some discussions we, we've used discussions before and uh yeah. and yeah uh, and we've been able to 
kind of get through some simple non-coding related tasks using this exact same architecture, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, it sounds like a massive productivity boost. And you have like a directory for all the, the issues basically aggregated into one spot. So if someone just wants to see everything and go scroll through like basically a bounty board, yep. they can just yeah, it's literally whatever they want. Go Again, also on GitHub, right? It's uh, literally, it's a GitHub repository with with a custom script and it just like mirrors the issues from all of these uh, linked projects. And so we're uh, Mm -hmm. actively working on refining that. You know, fortunately, the issues view has built-in filters. And so we're leveraging, uh, you know, those filters and adding like special labels so you can filter for like, you know, TypeScript related bounties or Solidity related bounties. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so we're... You know, we're we're actively um, refining all that right now. It's kind of rough. It's just like they're all dumped into one place. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it still works though. Yeah, it still works. I mean, we we uh, you know we we have uh, one of the researchers uh, actively posting like promoting our dev pool like on different websites like you know uh, mm-hmm. crypto jobs whatever. And then people we, oh, we yeah. funnel we funnel them to our landing page. We have a landing page on our website, and then one of the main links is like check out the issues or check out the open bounties and it's, it's just the github issues yeah. the dev pool directory uh and it works mm-hmm. um you know they click in and then uh sometimes if they like don't know how to assign themselves the uh the bot mm-hmm. it detects like it's their first comment uh, and it will uh drop the help menu to them right away so um sure, yeah. it's like it's like zero touch onboarding it works like 99 percent of the time it sounds phenomenal actually <laughs> um, i wonder how do like let's say I think this could be really useful in like auditing as well like cybersecurity. So I wonder if that's been on your radar at all. Um, like if you want you know a code base to be audited while you're reiterating on it. Like, so how would that work? So um, two points. Uh, number one, I I'm sure you've heard of Sherlock. Sherlock is uh, like a yeah, yeah. yeah. So I feel like they could probably maybe benefit from this because they're like, you know, very decentralized. But I'm not sure if that was like what you were getting at with your question. So my other point I wanted to add, you know, occasionally, well, because because of the nature of this, like we have so many eyes looking at our code, you know, we've been able to get a lot of interesting uh, feedback and, um, you know, mm-hmm. basically proposals in, in the form of just somebody who files a new issue, like here's the problems with your code currently, like I want to work on this. You know, and then it gets priced and then they can okay. do it. And so, yeah, like this week we had this new guy jump in with our um, Ubiquity dollar repo, which is very, very yep. code heavy. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but we have like a million smart contracts for better or for worse. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, so it's, it's a pretty dense protocol. But we got this guy who jumped in and he's like seemingly pretty hardcore about like, you know, like optimizing for gas and also some security stuff. And, you know, he's been filing, he's yep. been opening up new issues. So it's like really dope. Um, and then, you know, we, we will discuss it on the issue, like the core contributors and, mm-hmm. and them, and we'll have a debate. And then sometimes, you know, they, they've been turned into bounties. We just add the priority level and the time level and okay, you're off to the races yeah. or we, you know, we close as not planned because whatever, uh, we link another thing mm-hmm. that solved it or whatever. So, um, yeah, no, this, we've definitely have seen and are seeing currently benefits of, just having a very open decentralized model where anybody could jump in and add their own observations yeah. or concerns. Anybody can open a new issue. So sounds like it's covering kind of everything. And it's just kind of like the holy grail for 
contribution. <laughs> we're, um, we're trying to make it that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Like I would definitely use it if I was making open source. <laughs> but you mentioned you're getting, you're paying people in stablecoins or whatever mm-hmm. coins, mm-hmm. tokens mm-hmm. they desire or you desire, um, and you're building your own. So let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess basically right now uh, we have two deployments of like the payments on our current, you know, on the beta of the dev pool. Uh, so we do mainnet, mm-hmm. uh, which is Dai. But we realized that, you know, with gas fees sometimes spiking up, you know, if you're collecting a $25 bounty and you're paying $15 to, you know, gas fee or whatever, yeah, kind of yeah. sucks. So uh, some people were complaining, uh, I don't know, like last month, it was like some crazy high spikes. So we uh, we did a deployment yeah. on, on Gnosis Chain, which is so dope because literally it's like it varies between like one one billionth of like you could do one billion <laughs> transactions before it costs a dollar or like you know, 20,000, but that's like the max range I've seen, you know, it's, uh, it's great for these tiny, uh, frequent payments. So that's, uh, using, uh, wrapped X die technically, but, uh, you know, once we're finished with our new deployment for our dollar, cause we're like, we, we did like open heart surgery in our protocol. We did like the diamond standard, which is a very contentious topic. Like it's very polarizing. Uh, but we want, max flexibility anyways so that was like a big open heart surgery and uh we, we did a couple other major basically changes to our dollar like we're we're decking it out with like every auditing tool we could find like we have like mythx we've got like slither we're using foundry fuzzing mm-hmm. we uh i think we have a chidna in there somewhere like we we got we, we were just throwing the kitchen sink at it right with our ci and that's because we want to do it right we, we want to be patient want to do it right uh and so with mm-hmm. all this um you know, we, we technically currently have our dollar on mainnet, but I consider that more as a prototype. It's a very early version. What I plan to do, because uh, we're, we're pretty close, like we finished the diamond uh, stuff. We're, I think we just finished the collateral module because we originally started without collateral, actually, back in the day when we thought, when people thought that you could do stable coins okay. without collateral. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we, yeah <laughs> we, we completely changed our protocol like a million times. So, in conclusion, um, you know, before we start our fundraising in about, you know, nine months or whatever, in March, um, we definitely want to have mm-hmm. our new deployment with all of the nice security CI and the diamond, you know, access control manager, everything, all these bells and whistles. We want to have that ready to go. Uh, and then we also, uh, I guess it's a little bit of a tangent, but also want to participate in like curve bribes and stuff to, to boost our liquidity and, uh, you know, position ourselves to be a lot more attractive for our Series A. We also um, are actively doing research on issuing debit cards, which has been a real bitch uh, from a regulatory standpoint. Okay, I, yeah. um, we're we're kind of honing in on either Singapore or Hong Kong right now. It just comes down to who we're working mm-hmm. with. Uh, we have very specific needs or requirements. Like we, we need API access to be able to extend the behavior of these debit cards. But that apparently is not that common. Like a lot of card issuing partners are just like very generic, like, white label and like you can't customize anything other than like the graphic on the card but we're trying to innovate yeah. we're trying to build new you know things so we need like code access like we need to be able to access our apis yeah. and so like one future vision that we we've done a lot of research on is like genuinely making your eoa wallet like you, you know your metamask wallet on chain like genuinely be your checking mm-hmm. account and uh, i don't know if it's appropriate for me to get into the details right here and now but at a high level we we have this uh this specification this uh design 
to be able to essentially let you spend your ubiquity dollars in the real world, quote unquote, you know, with your debit card. And then um, basically the next time you invoke the transfer call, next time you move your money on chain, it gets rebased so that uh, we stay current. And so, yeah, the, the, the vision is that you, you can have like Ethereum as your checking account. So you can do whatever you want inside your checking account with your ubiquity dollars. You know, you can go LP, you can go whatever, yield farm, whatever you mm-hmm. want. But um, we have um, designs for how we can monitor, uh, basically keep track of all that and then allow you to spend it live with your debit card uh, in the real world. Uh, and so innovations like Go these, I think, could be pretty interesting for the industry because we haven't heard you know, mm-hmm. these implementations being done yet. But, yep. you know, we got to figure out how to get these debit cards out there. It's really, you know, I think we're, we're pretty good at R&D. Yeah. We're not that great at regulatory <laughs> uh, yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's like the the kind of like road bump you need to get over. And yeah. Then- yeah, we, we spent a few months on on that stuff but you know of course yeah, it'll be interesting though like, yeah definitely need to experiment you no know, i think um things get a lot more interesting like when you combine different products and, and sort of make it the greater greater than the sum of its parts like you know another future vision we mm-hmm. have is um you know being able to have these bounty hunters like essentially have these on-chain checking accounts where they can like cash out instantly uh mm-hmm. whether it's through their debit card or through fiat on and off ramping and then, you know, having the, excuse me, having the ubiquity dollar sort of as being the bridge of everything. But the most interesting part, in my opinion, is that a stablecoin can be a very profitable business in a not very apparent way. So, um, for example, if we build an ecosystem of dope products, like let's say the dev pool, like really, you know, kicks off and like people are using it. And in, uh, in theory, we could subsidize the cost of using the dev pool to be tech, like apparently zero dollars. I'll say I use air quotes and say apparently zero dollars. Like it's free to use. Yeah, yeah. But in reality, uh, let's say we make it so that you have to settle payments in our ubiquity dollars. So there's a few ways we can make money on the back end. Number one, swap fees, of course. Number two, mint fees, of course, if you're you know minting new ubiquity dollars. And number three, arguably most importantly, getting yield off the collateral. So um, I don't know if you know, but like Frax is like amazing at this where they have, you know, a bunch of collateral sitting in the bank mm-hmm. of Frax and they deploy that capital, you know, that collateral in the DeFi ecosystem and they make, you know, anywhere between 10 and 40% APR, whatever. But on 20, 30, 40 million dollars, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money for a team of like five or 10 people, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. so it, it's kind of magic where you can have these sort of like products and services, like maybe a debit card and like the dev pool and all these things. Uh, and we can say, oh, it's free. But in reality, right, like we're, we're making money in the collateral in the back end or whatever. So um, I, I think it allows us yeah. to to be very innovative with our revenue models. And, and we can kind of race to the bottom with costs if we're competing with like sort of like software as a service type stuff. So yeah. that's another reason why that's one of many reasons why I'm very interested in in making a stable coin. It allows very innovative monetization models, uh, very roundabout monetization mm-hmm. models. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's also like inherent risk with that as well, though. Like if if you deposit all this collateral into a pool and that pool somehow gets hacked and it's kind of all over, right? Yeah. 
So I guess how would you even deal with that? Yeah, no, I mean, risk management is a whole another conversation. Um, you know, it, it depends. On, That's true. Yeah. It, it depends on Tangent. how conservative <laughs> you are or how greedy you are. Uh, yeah, they're yeah, kind of like sure. polar opposite ends of the spectrum. Usually the more, you know, the higher risk, the higher reward. Um, I think that we would be very incentivized to stay very low risk because we have more irons in the mm-hmm. fire than just the stablecoin. you know like we're we're trying to build an ecosystem yeah, yeah. so you know like i said we haven't fully figured out our go-to-market strategy with the with the dev pool but you know it, so experiment. yeah but i think like you know if we're going to be conservative like yeah we could charge a small fee you know to start and then if we see like gitcoin mm-hmm. step in they're like oh we want to do something similar we'll just race them to the bottom <laughs> you know what i mean um okay <laughs> so we'll, we'll see we'll, we still have some time to figure out how we're going to play our cards there but um in conclusion uh, yeah risk management uh i would say i would want to stay very more more so on the conservative side you know lower mm-hmm. yields uh and maybe trying to uh make up for that with with some uh upfront charge on on let's say our dev pool uh at least until competition comes up and and then you know we'll we'll have more options uh, more more yeah. ways to navigate I think we are running out of time, but it's been a pleasure talking to you and understand, like learning about this sort of a open source in incentivization program or yeah, program you built. I think it's definitely going to pop off and I personally would be using it for open source startups as well. Um, even just like closed source, if you have like a team of people, um, yeah, just add the multiplier, kind of pay them through that. You can, you can bring them on board as like, quote unquote full time, but you're just giving like higher payouts to certain things. And yeah. I think that would work like really well. Incentivize work. Yeah, man. I, I'm super excited to see the future of this. We're really early stage, seeing like, you know, early days experimentation, but I think this could really be like a massive game changer. Not even just in Web3, but in Web2 as well. Yeah, man. Super excited. Love having you on. Definitely gonna have you on again when you make more progress. <laughs> um yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Likewise. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Um, if not on the podcast, then in real life, come visit my part of the world uh, if you've got some free time. And and also, I would love to learn more about um, your work. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm very fascinated by what you do. Uh, I understand I'm, I'm the guest and you know I'm, I'm the main person to be talking, but would love to have another conversation with you yeah. more about uh, your work. Oh, yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's it. This is Alex from Ubiquity. And yeah, have a good day. Thanks so much for having me.